Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be going through hernias. And you can find written notes on this topic as always at zerodefinals.com slash hernias or in the general surgery section of the Zero to Finals surgery book. So let's get straight into it. Hernias occur where there is a weak point in a cavity wall, usually affecting the muscle or the fascia. This weakness allows a body organ, for example the bowel, that would normally be contained within that cavity to pass through the cavity wall. Let's talk first about the presentation. There are many types of hernias that present differently depending on where they are and what organs are involved. The typical features of an abdominal wall hernia are a soft lump protruding through the abdominal wall. The lump may be reducible, meaning it can be pushed back into the normal place. The lump may protrude when coughing, which raises the intra-abdominal pressure, or on standing when it's pulled out by gravity. And there may be aching, pulling or a dragging sensation. Let's talk about the complications because these are really important. There are three key complications of hernias. Incarceration, obstruction and strangulation. Incarceration is where the hernia cannot be reduced back into the proper position, meaning it's irreducible. The bowel that's coming through the hernia is trapped in the herniated position. Incarceration can lead to obstruction and strangulation of the hernia. Obstruction is where the hernia causes a blockage of the passage of feces, fluids and gas through the bowel. Obstruction presents with vomiting, generalised abdominal pain and absolute constipation. Absolute constipation means not passing feces or flatus. Strangulation is where the hernia is non-reducible. It's trapped with the bowel protruding. And the base of the hernia becomes so tight that it cuts off the blood supply, causing ischemia. This will present with significant pain and tenderness at the hernia site. Strangulation is a surgical emergency and the bowel will die quickly within hours if it's not corrected with surgery. There will also be mechanical obstruction when strangulation occurs. A tom tip for you. Hernias that have a wide neck, meaning that the size of the opening that allows the abdominal contents through is large, are at lower risk of complications. While the contents can easily pass out of this opening, they can also easily be put back, which means there's a lower risk of incarceration, obstruction and strangulation. When you assess a hernia, always comment on the size of the neck or the defect, whether it's narrow or wide as this will help formulate a risk assessment and management plan for the hernia, such as how urgently they need to be operated on. Next, let's talk about a Richter's hernia. A Richter's hernia is a very specific situation that can occur with any abdominal wall hernia. This is where only part of the bowel wall and lumen herniate through the defect, with the other side of that section of bowel remaining within the peritoneal cavity. This means half the bowel can become strangulated where the blood supply to that portion of bowel wall is constricted and cut off. Strangulated Richter's hernias will progress rapidly to ischemia and necrosis and should be operated on immediately. Next, another type of hernia called a Madel's hernia. And a Madel's hernia is also a very specific situation where two different loops of bowel are contained within one hernia. Next let's talk about the general management options for treating abdominal wall hernias. 
And there's three general options for treating hernias. And these are conservative management, tension-free repair, which is surgery, or tension repair, which is also surgery. Conservative management involves leaving the hernia alone and not operating on it. And this is most appropriate when the hernia has a wide neck, so it has a low risk of complications, and in patients that are not good candidates for surgery due to comorbidities. Attention-free repair involves placing a mesh over the defect in the abdominal wall. The mesh is sutured to the muscles and tissues either side of the defect, covering it and preventing herniation of the cavity contents. Over time, tissues grow into the mesh and provide extra support. An attention-free repair has a low rate of recurrence compared to tension repair, but there may be complications associated with the mesh, such as chronic pain. A tension repair involves a surgical operation to suture the muscles and tissues on either side of the defect back together. Tension repairs are rarely performed these days and have largely been replaced by tension-free repairs. In a tension repair, the hernia is held closed with sutures applying tension to the tissues either side of the defect. This can cause pain and there is a relatively high rate of recurrence with this type of repair. Next, let's go through some specific types of abdominal wall hernias. Firstly, starting with inguinal hernias. Inguinal hernias present with a soft lump in the inguinal region, in the groin. There are two types, indirect inguinal hernias and direct inguinal hernias. There are a number of differential diagnoses for a lump in the inguinal region. A lump in this region could be a femoral hernia, a lymph node, a saphena varix, which is dilation of the saphenous vein at the junction with the femoral vein in the groin, a femoral aneurysm, an abscess, an undescended or ectopic testicle, or a kidney transplant. Firstly, let's talk about indirect inguinal hernias. An indirect inguinal hernia is where the bowel herniates through the inguinal canal. The inguinal canal is a tube that runs between the deep inguinal ring, where it connects to the peritoneal cavity, and the superficial inguinal ring, where it connects to the scrotum in males. In males, the inguinal canal is what allows the spermatic cord and its contents to travel from inside the peritoneal cavity through the abdominal wall and into the scrotum. In females, the round ligament is attached to the uterus and passes through the deep inguinal ring, the inguinal canal, and then attaches to the labia majora. During fetal development, the processus vaginalis is a pouch of the peritoneum that extends from the abdominal cavity through the inguinal canal. This allows the testes to descend from the abdominal cavity through the inguinal canal and into the scrotum. Normally, after the testes descend through the inguinal canal, the deep inguinal ring closes and the processus vaginalis is obliterated. However, in some patients, the inguinal ring remains patent and the processus vaginalis remains intact. This leaves a tract or a tunnel from the abdominal contents through the inguinal canal and into the scrotum, and the bowel can herniate along this tract, creating an indirect inguinal hernia. There is a specific finding of indirect inguinal hernias that can help you differentiate them from direct inguinal hernias. 
When an inguinal hernia is reduced and pressure is applied using two fingertips to the deep inguinal ring, which is at the midway point from the anterior superior iliac spine to the pubic tubercle, the hernia will remain reduced. So you can reduce the hernia, apply pressure to the deep inguinal ring and keep the hernia from coming back out again. Next let's talk about direct inguinal hernias. Direct inguinal hernias occur due to weakness in the abdominal wall at Hesselbach's triangle. The hernia protrudes directly through the abdominal wall through Hesselbach's triangle and not along the canal or tract which would be the case in an indirect inguinal hernia. If you apply pressure over the deep inguinal ring, this will not stop the herniation in a direct inguinal hernia. It's worth remembering the Hesselbach's triangle boundaries, and you can use the RIP mnemonic. R stands for rectus abdominis muscle, which is the medial border. I stands for the inferior epigastric vessels, which form the superior and lateral border. And P stands for Poupart's ligament or the inguinal ligament, which forms the inferior border. Next, let's talk about femoral hernias. And femoral hernias involve herniation of the abdominal contents through the femoral canal. And this occurs below the inguinal ligament at the top of the thigh. The opening between the peritoneal cavity and the femoral canal is the femoral ring. The femoral ring leaves only a small, narrow opening for femoral hernias, putting femoral hernias at high risk of incarceration, obstruction and strangulation. The boundaries of the femoral canal can be remembered with the FLIP pneumonic. F stands for the femoral vein, which forms the lateral border. L stands for the lacuna ligament, which forms the medial border. I stands for the inguinal ligament, which forms the anterior border and P stands for the pectineal ligament, which forms the posterior border. Don't get the femoral canal confused with the femoral triangle. The femoral triangle is a larger area at the top of the thigh that contains the femoral canal. And you can remember the boundaries of the femoral triangle using the sail mnemonic. S stands for sartorius, which is the muscle that forms the lateral border. A stands for adductor longus, which forms the medial border, and IL stands for the inguinal ligament, which forms the superior border. One final mnemonic, you can use the navy C mnemonic to remember the contents of the femoral triangle from lateral to medial across the top of the thigh. So in the most lateral position is N, which stands for the femoral nerve, then there's A, which is the femoral artery. Then there's V, which is the femoral vein. And the YC refers to Y fronts, referring to underwear in the most medial position, and the femoral canal, which contains the lymphatic vessels and the lymphatic nodes. Next, let's talk about incisional hernias. Incisional hernias occur at the site of an incision after previous surgery. They're due to weakness where the muscles and tissues were closed after the surgical incision. The bigger the incision, the higher the risk of a hernia forming. Medical comorbidities put patients at higher risk due to poor healing after surgery. Incisional hernias can be difficult to repair with a high rate of recurrence. They're often left alone if they're large, 
with a wide neck and a low risk of complications, particularly in patients who have multiple comorbidities. Next, let's talk about umbilical hernias. Umbilical hernias occur around the umbilicus due to a defect in the muscle around the belly button. Umbilical hernias are common in neonates, and in neonates they can resolve spontaneously. They can also occur in older adults due to weakness of the abdominal wall. Next, epigastric hernias. An epigastric hernia is simply a hernia in the epigastric region at the upper abdomen. Next, let's talk about spagelian hernias. A spagelian hernia occurs between the lateral border of the rectus abdominis muscle and the linea semilunaris. This is the site of the spagelian fascia, which is an aponeurosis between the muscles of the abdominal wall. Usually this occurs in the lower abdomen and may present with a non-specific abdominal wall pain. There may not be a noticeable lump with a spagelian hernia. An ultrasound scan can be used to establish the diagnosis. Spagelian hernias generally have a narrower base which increases the risk of incarceration, obstruction and strangulation. Next let's talk about something called diastasis recti which may also be called rectus diastasis and recti divarication. This refers to widening of the linea alba which is the connective tissue that separates the rectus abdominis muscle forming a larger gap between the rectus muscles. It's not technically a hernia. This gap becomes most prominent when the patient lies on their back and lifts their head and there is a protruding bulge along the middle of the abdomen. The linea alba is an aponeurosis between the two sides of the rectus abdominis muscle. The gap is created because the linea alba is stretched and broad. This can be a congenital condition seen in newborns or due to weakness in the connective tissue, for example following pregnancy or in obese patients. No treatment is required in most cases, but surgical repair is possible. Next let's talk about obturator hernias. Obturator hernias are where the abdominal or pelvic contents herniate through the obturator foramen at the bottom of the pelvis. They occur due to a defect in the pelvic floor and are more common in women, particularly in older age, after multiple pregnancies and vaginal deliveries. They're most often asymptomatic but they may present with irritation to the obturator nerve causing pain in the groin or the medial thigh. Hauschip-Romberg sign refers to pain extending from the inner thigh to the knee when the hip is internally rotated. And this is caused by compression of the obturator nerve when the hip is internally rotated. Obturator hernias can also present with complications of incarceration, obstruction and strangulation. A CT or MRI scan of the pelvis can help to establish a diagnosis. It may also be found incidentally during pelvic surgery. Finally, let's talk about hiatus hernias. A hiatus hernia refers to herniation of the stomach up through the diaphragm. The diaphragm opening should be at the level of the lower esophageal sphincter and should be fixed in place. A narrow opening helps to maintain the sphincter and stop acid and the stomach contents refluxing into the esophagus. When the opening of the diaphragm is wider, 
the stomach can enter through the diaphragm and the contents of the stomach can reflux into the esophagus, causing symptoms. There are four types of hiatus hernia. Type 1 is a sliding hiatus hernia. Type 2 is a rolling hiatus hernia. Type 3 is a combination of sliding and rolling. And type 4 is a large opening with additional abdominal organs entering the thorax through the diaphragm. A sliding hiatus hernia is where the stomach slides through the diaphragm with the gastroesophageal junction passing up into the thorax. A rolling hiatus hernia is where a separate portion of the stomach, particularly the fundus, folds around and enters through the diaphragm opening alongside the esophagus. Type 4 refers to a large hernia that allows intra-abdominal organs to pass through the diaphragm opening, for example the bowel, pancreas and omentum, as well as the stomach. Key risk factors for hiatus hernia are increasing age, obesity and pregnancy. Hiatus hernia presents with dyspepsia or indigestion with symptoms of heartburn, acid reflux, reflux of food, burping, bloating and halitosis which refers to bad breath. Hiatus hernias can be intermittent meaning that they may not be seen on investigations. Hiatus hernias can be seen on chest x-rays, CT scans, endoscopy procedures and a barium swallow test. Treatment is either conservative with medical treatments of the gastroesophageal reflux or with surgical repair if there's a high risk of complications or the symptoms are resistant to medical treatment. Surgery involves laparoscopic fundoplication. This involves tying the fundus of the stomach around the lower esophageal sphincter to narrow the lower esophageal sphincter and prevent acid and the stomach contents from refluxing into the esophagus. So thanks for listening to this episode on hernias. As always, a big thank you to Harry for perfectly editing the podcast and I hope you join us for the next episode, which will be on hemorrhoids.